Podcast with your host, Nick Jaworski. We bring you the business of recovery because those struggling with addiction need you to be here tomorrow as well as today. Thank you for joining me here on the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski, owner of Circle Social Inc., a strategic marketing and operational consulting firm for addiction treatment and behavioral health. Today, we are speaking with Ted Bender. He is the CEO of Be Well. It is a group of treatment facilities out in California. But before we start talking with him about PR and marketing strategy around that kind of outreach, let's hear from our sponsors, Track 9. As all regular listeners of the show are aware, I'm a huge advocate of clinical outcomes tracking. So I'm proud to have my favorite tracking software, Track9, as a sponsor of this show. Track9 Informatics is a measurement-based care and data analytics tool for substance use disorder and mental health treatment across the continuum of care. It assesses a combination of pathology and resilience factors scientifically proven to be most critical to client success. Track9 identifies which clinicians excel at treating various client symptoms so you can match the clinician best suited to the client's specific needs. Track9 also provides much-needed feedback-informed care loops to help clinicians themselves improve. What's really interesting is that Track9 learns your facility-specific predictors of treatment success or failure and provides treatment failure risk alerts, which can help lower AMAs by as much as 39%. If you listen to my podcast with owner Jared Dempsey, he talks about how different facilities achieve different results based on internal talent, systems, and the unique characteristics of their patient population. Track9 displays program performance versus national averages, which you can use to identify improvement opportunities and support payer negotiations. To learn more, visit www.track9.com. That's T-R-A-C and the number 9 Com. Special event on the podcast today here. Ted Bender is back for the second time, and he is the first guest that we've ever had on the show twice. He was on the show a couple years ago and talking around turnarounds and growth strategy. He's worked at a number of facilities that were either going through transitions or were struggling and had to be rebuilt. But this time around, I wanted to have him on around PR. So I see Ted as he's moved within the space. Every single facility he goes to, he does an amazing job of getting on local media, whether that's print media or TV or radio. At Be Well, he's actually started or taken over a YouTube slash podcast video cast. It's just fascinating. He does an amazing job with it. It's something that I have not seen any other CEOs do in the space. And really, most providers don't even have much of a PR strategy. So I really wanted to talk with him around, you know, how he developed the PR strategy, what works within it, why is he doing it? You know, is it better to have the CEO as the head of the PR strategy versus, you know, a PR or marketing department? And I really appreciate his answers and just the intentionality and his focus on quality and reducing stigma and everything that builds into his PR strategy above and beyond just connecting patients to care and bringing them into the facility, right? He puts a lot more thought into it. Than that. So really excited to just have him explore all of that with us and share his wealth of knowledge. And with that, let's jump in. 
Hey, Ted, welcome back to the show. I think you are actually the first guest we've ever had on for a second time. So really appreciate you coming on again. Um, do you just want to reintroduce yourself a little bit and tell us about you know, the, the new organization that you're with? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Nick. Uh, that's really cool to hear. I, I've listened to your show religiously. I really respect you know what you have to say in the industry. And to, to be your first repeat guest is, is an honor. So thank you for that. Absolutely. So you're at Be Well now, right? You just left Illinois, yeah. you moved out to California. So you just want to tell us a little bit about what prompted that decision and um, what you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that the decision was kind of a culmination of how my career has developed over time. Um, I, I think the last time on the show, I kind of gave you a detailed kind of breakdown of, you know, how I got started in this business and, you know, how it's gone. And, you know, I, I, I was working in, in uh, Rhode Island on my residency, and I started working with veterans, which is something that's still very near and dear to my heart is veteran care. And I was doing a lot of trauma work, and for obvious reasons, PTSD, um, vets coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan at the time. And I found myself having to treat the addiction piece just as much. And in fact, in some cases, the addiction was the more uh, pertinent issue because of its lethality. So I started getting very interested in that and um, ended up going back to South Florida, where I was from, and um, my first job was in the addiction treatment space as a therapist. And I, I worked at that company for years, um, for, and I, that, that took me from, from South Florida out to Houston to run that division. Uh, and for almost six years, I was running facilities and really just in the trenches with the team all the time, doing the, the, the individual therapy, running groups, the case management work. I was even an overnight tech when I needed to be, uh, just kind of getting my, my uh, I was getting into every different aspect of the job. And I'm really glad for that time and for the subsequent roles I've had, because over a period of, you know, over 10 years now, I've taken with me all of the things I really wanted to do in this space and all the things that I didn't like about the space. And the, the opportunity came along for Be Well here in California, a fairly new company, um, to really kind of build things from the ground up, from scratch, how I've always wanted to do it with, with total control and ability. So that's kind of what brought me to Southern California. Very cool. So last time you were on, we were really kind of talking about initiating a turnaround and growth strategies. You had come into Vertava Health at a point where, you know, they transitioned from addiction campuses and you went over to Unity Point Health in Illinois. Uh, and what I've always been impressed about is every time I see you, you know, moving somewhere, a different facility, you know, within a couple of weeks, you suddenly have a, a PR presence and you're on TV and you're being invited to podcasts and you know, have a whole lot of things going on from a marketing perspective that you often don't see with CEOs in general. So really just wanted to start and, and have a conversation around that this time. What value do you see in that local P, PR component and you know, how, how do you get that started? That's, that's a great question. I think I have to kind of take it to the very beginning and really sh a shout out and uh, thank you to my good friend, Brian Sullivan, who was working in PR with me at the time. Um, I, I remember I came to Mississippi and I was working at a facility in, in northern Mississippi in South Haven, Mississippi. And I got to the facility that I was I was taking control over as facility CEO. And the chief operating officer at the time, at the first day or two said, I hope you like doing media. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, the news crews are here all the time. They come to talk to us a lot. And I was like, oh, great. Uh, secretly, incredibly nervous uh, about the thought of being on television. So, you know, true to his word, it wasn't even a week that I was at that facility that the local Memphis news, South Haven is very close to Memphis, 
the local Memphis news was coming to our facility. Anytime something happened in the news locally, whether it was around drug use or behavioral health or mental illness, they wanted to come talk to, to us. We were like the local experts and we were always available. That was the key, always being available. I can, I can count on two fingers how many times I've turned down a, a news interview or um, some sort of media outlet. And one of them was because I was extremely sick and the other one was because I was out of town on vacation. But the news crew came in and I prepared like crazy. I had notes, I was memorizing facts and I was so nervous and I don't think they could see me sweating, but I definitely was. Um, but I got through that first uh, news interview and I felt elated afterwards. I loved it. Um, I had a chance finally to speak not only to patients and to my colleagues and people that I worked with, but now I was reaching thousands of homes. Uh, and I thought to myself, you know, even if I just reach one person in all of this and they hear me and they decide to make a change in their life, then it's all worth it. And I always prioritize that very highly. Let's dig into a couple of different pieces there. So um, originally you kind of just walked into the situation. It sounds like Brian helped out quite a bit. I know he used to do a lot of PR over there, but now you've taken it over on your own, right? So are you the one that's initiating the contact with the local media outlets now, or do you have someone else that you have help you with that? You know, it's really evolved. And Brian, he goes by Sully. Uh, Sully really kind of got me practiced and polished and really taught me how to prepare for these. So I did a lot of local media there. Then I went from, from South Haven, the Memphis area to Dallas market um, for another facility that I was running. And it was different because the Dallas media was a much bigger market. I believe it's a, a market for a much larger uh, local news market. And uh, it was a little bit tougher to crack. So I eventually, I started leaning a little bit more away from that and doing more local, local print newspaper interview kind of articles. And that got us some kind of local notoriety and began building the, the brand and creating trust. When I left there and I went to Illinois, I started working at a nonprofit, large mental health, the biggest you know, mental health and substance use disorder company I've ever run. It was gigantic. We had over 20 facilities. And this was the first time I had access to a whole PR team and a real PR machine in Unity Point Health, a very large nonprofit hospital chain. So they saw the uh, media experience that I had and, and that they knew that I loved doing it. And they were more than happy to start plugging me in because not everybody likes doing this stuff. You know, it makes people, it makes people really nervous. Um, but I loved it. I ate it up. And before you know it, in a, in a year's time, with barely spending any money, um, we became the local preference when it came to mental health and substance use disorder treatment uh, against our competition, which was large competition, and we spent about $10,000 within the whole year to do it. Wow. Um, so that's when I started to really learn the value of this kind of work, not just the ability to reach people, which is still my main goal, uh, and to have somebody hear me and get the help that they need. But I started to see the power of this type of work uh, as a brand differentiator, brand awareness, and also um, you know, becoming the, the preferred local provider. That's interesting. So I think with PR, what I'm hearing you say, and what we, we don't do a lot of PR work on our end, but we help out here from time to time. And at the end of the day, journalists are super busy, right? 
they don't know where to go. They don't know who an expert is and they don't want to spend a bunch of time trying to research and find one. So if you're able to get in, you know, one or two little news stories, well, that gets shared among the journalist community really fast. Or if they go back and research through files, you know, and they see your name, they're like, oh, I should probably reach out to that guy because other people are, have already vetted him and, and use him and I can see his quotes, right? So it just kind of spirals in a really kind of virtuous circle. Would that be an accurate assessment? Definitely. And that, that's really what I saw in Illinois. So we did all, it was pretty much all local news media work there. And even the, the, the journalists, like you just said, would tell me that all the time. They just felt so grateful that they had somebody to call when these types of issues came up. And, you know, this, I started working there in January of 2000. So this was right before the pandemic just blew up. And, you know, there was a million requests for self-care tips mental health tips, you know, what to do about substance use disorder or family members who are struggling. I mean, it was, they were coming in so fast, you know, it was making my head spin. But once the local news media realized that, you know, I could come in on a short notice and talk intelligently about these different subjects, um, they, they, they were calling me all the time, which was something that I really appreciated. And just kind of unofficially, which I thought was funny, at the end of the year, with, you know, within our own organization, Eden Point Health, great, great people there. I unofficially won the Sanjay Gupta Award uh, for, for most uh, television appearances. And the uh, executive <laughs> team there used to joke around. They'd say that I was up, you know, getting my breakfast, taking a shower. And from the living room, I hear Ted's voice coming to me through the TV once again. So it was, it was a, a really fun time. I had a great time doing that. That's oh, really fun. So who ends up being the point of contact in those situations? I mean, are the journalists or the media outlets reaching out directly to you? Or are they generally going through like a, a secretary or a PR? Yeah, so I had, I just had an incredible team in Illinois. So I had a PR rep. I had, we, we hired someone who worked the front desk of one of the local news organizations. So she knew that whole team in there um, and connected us seamlessly. And not just me either, lots of the other executives, medical doctors. Um, so we had really, we hired a great person to do that role. Plus I had my own PR person um, who would help me prep for all of the different uh, interview types and questions and um uh, all the different subject matters that I would need to kind of brush up on to do it. And what do you think about your role as a CEO? So obviously you've got a clinical background and not every CEO has a really strong clinical background. Um, but you know, would you recommend that the CEO is often the front in these PR, PR engagements, or do you think it's better to have a clinical director or medical director? If you don't have a clinical background, how do you approach that? I think that's a great question. And, and yeah, I think my situation is somewhat unique, you know, although I'm sure there are other business leaders in the space who are also, you know, clinicians, but I come from, I am a clinician at heart and I always will be the business piece and the leadership and the management is stuff that I learned later on uh, through direct experience and going back to school and, and getting an MBA and also learning data analysis from Harvard. I put a lot of effort into my education after I got my doctorate in clinical psychology. So in my position, I feel very comfortable talking about mental health related issues, substance use disorder related issues. And uh, I have the most experience in most of the companies I've run doing that and being the face in the media. Now, if, you know, if I didn't have this type of background in education and experience, then yeah, I, I would, I would divert more of these types of requests to clinical directors, clinical leads, therapists, or people who specialize in the specific question or area that is being brought up in the news request. 
Okay, got it. And one of the things that you said that was important here was you know, kind of being available at the drop of a hat, right? Which is yeah. hard mm-hmm. for, for, I mean, it's hard for a CEO to do, but it's also hard for clinicians to do, right? I mean, they got a million things going on, running groups, doing private sessions, doing all the admin paperwork. So, you know, I mean, what's your thought process around that from a PR standpoint? Is that really what has to happen? I mean, do you have to be available, you know, at the drop of a hat? Um, and what's the, what's the return on investment for that? You know, if you're making yourself available and prioritizing it, you know, how do you see that as a return on your time versus other tasks you might be doing? And that's also a very good question. I, I joke around with my staff, uh, and my friends and family quite a bit that I actually only have very few skills in this life. <laughs> one of them happens to be team building. So the one cons- thing I've done very consistently from place to place that I've gone and worked at is put together really exceptional teams from, you know, the executive level to down to the director and manager level down to the, you know, the employees running the facilities. So with that, I have such a good team in place and I have an excellent team here at BeWell now. I'm able to prioritize these type of events uh, and this aspect of the business. And I really put the kind of brand awareness and brand trust and reliability on my shoulders squarely. Uh, and I am the face of it. I'm out there. Everybody can, everybody who knows be well associates that very closely with me. But to answer your question, if I didn't have the kind of team that I have in place or if I was on a shoestring budget and it was just me running everything, then no, I definitely wouldn't have the time to do this kind of stuff. But because of the people that I have around me, solely, I am able to uh, put a lot of effort and energy into this type of work. Okay. How do you think about the ROI on it then? Because again, you could be doing a lot of other things, right? You're building a team so that you are able to delegate a lot of the other important tasks around the organization. Um, But if you're prioritizing that PR, it it must, you must have seen pretty strong results in previous roles. You know, how do you kind of quantify that? How do you think about the results as an investment of your time versus what the organization gets back out of it? Yeah, um, I think that it really first hit me again when I was in Illinois with uh, Unity Place. So at the end of the year, we did the market research on consumer preference for mental health and substance use disorders in the region. And we had data going back years on this. And one of our major or our, our major competitor in the area is another behemoth hospital system. Uh, and what really kind of made me or gave me the uh, clarity that I was doing the right thing with this was at the end of the year when we saw the, the consumer preference trends. And, uh, you know, I'm not a marketing expert by any means. And, and I, I, I had the team show me this because they were all very excited about it. And what we saw, there was a term for it. I can't remember. But what we saw was our market preference increasing significantly while our number one competitor's market preference for these specific areas was decreasing significantly. So it kind of looked like an alligator's mouth open on the graph, so to speak. Mm. So I saw that, you know, despite the fact that we were being outspent by a lot, by a much bigger, you know, organization in the area, and we barely spent a dollar on it, we grew significantly in 12 months time for consumer preference when it came to mental health and substance use disorder. So that was the the real trigger for me that what we were doing is working at a very low cost. Just well, It just was mostly my time and effort. So that's interesting. Did you see that yeah. also, or, or did the team give you any results in terms of additional traffic to the website, calls coming in, admissions? Did you have any of those um, harder numbers on top of the patient preference in the marketplace? 
We did. We did have some. And, and the, the biggest difference between all of the facilities I've run and that one was that was a nonprofit hospital system. So, like I said, we had over 20 facilities. Our biggest problem with that type of work was not getting more calls or getting more admissions. Or, our biggest problem always was capacity because we were, you know, we accepted Medicare, Medicaid, and indigent populations mostly. So that was a much different role for me from my perspective. Really, our biggest challenges was just creating as much access as possible because most of our facilities had waiting lists. So back now to the, you know, the, the for-profit side of the business where, you know, the hardest part, ironically, is, is getting patients and getting access for patients. Um, I have started out here with a different strategy um, that will hopefully, you know, lead us back to, again, creating more awareness because we're a young company. So I'm putting a lot of effort into brand awareness and uh, awareness in the region. Um, but we've, I've switched it over to a different style, which was, and I'm putting most of my focus now into our YouTube podcast. So let's, let's I was, I, I've seen that and I wanted to jump on this. So let's, let's go in that direction since you just brought it up. What, what is this YouTube podcast? Why did you, you know, did you come up with it? Why, what results are you seeing? Just kind of tell us everything about it. So when I first got out here, um, so Be Well is, in, is made up of three different regions that have come together into one company. So I'm, I'm doing the kind of the cultural integration thing again, uh, which I, I did also at Unity Place. It was three very large organizations coming together. Um, but one of our organizations, uh, Sheer Recovery, already had a, a podcast, a YouTube podcast that they did, not super consistently, um, but it was there were some good ones and there were some that had a lot of hits and there were some patient testimonials and there were some things I really liked about it. I also got very lucky um, because the, we already had a great producer uh, already on the, the staff here, Yunitsa Munoz, Munoz, who is the owner of New Mindset Content. She coordinates and produces a lot of the content. So I had this amazing person already in place who has a ton of connections in Hollywood and Southern California. Plus we already had the channel and the platform that was somewhat established. So I decided to try something a little different. And this is, this is what, I, another one of those moments, Nick, where I was pretty nervous. I had done a lot of interviews being interviewed, but I had never been the interviewer before. So that was a totally, and I'm still really working on this and I have a lot, I have a long ways to go to get really good at it, practice in time, but I had to really learn a whole new skill here, but it's been so much fun. And I think to get at the heart of your question and just to be completely honest, you know, why am I doing this? Why did I switch to this, this level? The main thing is I love doing it. Um, I have had people tell me in other, in other areas of the country, that they, they saw me on TV or they heard me on the radio and that inspired them to get help for themselves or for a family member. And I don't care if that's one person or 10,000 people, the fact that I can do these types of things and reach people where they are is enough for me. Putting all of the other stuff aside, the ROI, you know, increased calls, increased admissions, putting all of that aside, I would do it for free. Absolutely, without any of that, just because it gives me the chance to reach more people and to help more people. Oh, it was great. It, it kind of makes me think back to when I started the podcast, you know, 
uh, very similar when I first started. Like sometimes I go back and listen to some of our first episodes and they're terrible. <laughs> like, <laughs> we didn't know how to do sound editing, you know, and I, I wasn't used to interviewing people and things like that. I mean, when I first started, I just was really interested in doing it. Right? I'm like, oh, this would be interesting. You know, I bet you there's are some good people to talk to and there's a gap, right? No one's talking about these things and people need some help. And I approach it with the same attitude where it's like, well, I'm probably not going to be that good at it, but I'm going to learn it. I'm going to figure it out. Right. And you do like anything, you just get better at it and better at it. And, you know, people start to see what's happening and they start to give you advice on it or they give you feedback, you know, good and bad. It just makes it better. And um, it's interesting what it turns into right at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. It really is evolving. And, you know, and now, you know, I've, I've kind of talked about how it's evolved from local media, different geography areas of the country. Well, now I'm, you know, I'm an hour away from Hollywood. Oh, sure. And, uh, you know, and my producer, Yanitza, is very well connected in the, you know, the California and Hollywood um, landscape. So, you know, in a very short period of time, I started doing this just a few months ago. You know, we've had some pretty famous guests, you know, uh, Michael Fishman from uh, Roseanne and the Connors. Mm -hmm. People know him more as DJ Connor. Um, I just had Darren Prince on, Super Agent, uh, Magic Johnson, Dennis Rodman. Um, uh, We've had Kel Mitchell on the show from the Good Burger movie and uh, Nickelodeon and a bunch of other stuff. And we have some other really great guests lined up coming on in the next couple months, too. And that's just so that's just so much fun, you know, Um, and a lot of these a lot of these celebrities have their own causes that they're working on because they've gone through this themselves. They've struggled with mental health disorders. They've struggled with addiction. They've had family members that they've lost to suicide on Mia St. John, world champion boxer, had her on the show. You know, she lost her, her ex-husband and her son to suicide. Um, and now she's, you know, she's an advocate for mental health and, and, and she was fantastic on the show. So, you know, now I get to help, you know, again, continue to reach people but hopefully this also helps to reduce stigma. You know, that's the one thing about when, when, when you know, people that are in the spotlight or stars or uh, famous people come out and freely talk about these things, I think it is helping to reduce the stigma around mental health and addiction in this country. And as you are well aware, we have a long way to go. Um, but I do think that kind of work really helps. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's so important, I think, in everything that we do within the recovery space. And I constantly talk to my team about that. You know, I said everything that we do is reducing stigma, right? Mm -hmm. What are we putting out there? How is it helping people? And yeah, obviously, we want to connect clients to quality care. But at the end of the day, not everyone needs care or wants care. But if we can do our part by reducing Mm -hmm. stigma through the messaging that we're putting into communities, you know, that goes just as far as getting someone connected to care. I remind the team of that every day. Um, so something else I think you're, you're bringing up, and I was just talking with Jason Perillo over at High Watch on this on one of our um, more recent episodes. And, you know, there's a lot of leading indicators within marketing that I think people sometimes forget about or miss. But I mean, the fact that you had, you know, Magic Johnson on the show or Darren Prince, I mean, these are people that, you know, they're not going to just come on any show, right? Like it's showing you that there's some traction there already. And you know that having Magic Johnson on your show is going to have some kind of value. So maybe you can't track it directly back to a call, you know, or an admission here or there. But I mean, there's absolutely no way that that is hurting Be Well, right? Yeah. You know, you know, there's a positive effect. 
and you start to hear people talk about it. You start to get good feedback about it. And you know that that's working, right? And so over time, you know, maybe I can't quantify it exactly, but those leading indicators show me that we're moving in the right direction. And it's absolutely having some kind of positive result, even if I can't put pen to paper and tell you, you know, the exact numbers on it. Yeah, and just for a correction, Darren Prince is Magic Johnson's agent. He was the one that was on the show, not actually Magic Johnson. Oh, oh got it. Okay. I would lo- 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 love to have him on. Oh, I was going to say, I was yeah. like, I was like, I mean, that's impressive. I was really impressed. Yeah. I mean, the other guests are impressive too, but I was like, that is, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and I, you know, I can't really talk about it now, but we, we're, we're getting a lot of buzz around this, especially, if, you know, from a lot of real A list celebrities. And we have some people coming that are lined up over the next few months that really are blowing my mind to be completely, completely honest. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about the people that I've already interviewed and the stars that I've already got to meet and talk to, and, you know, and just, um, and just have, you know, conversations before and after the show with, you know, we also have some things lined up where they're going to come to some of our facilities and we're going to do some alumni events and that blows my mind. But the people that we're working on and talking to now that may agree to come on the show in the next few months, it's getting more and more intense. And I, I find myself just pinching myself saying, you know, how did I, how did I get to here so quickly? Uh, and how would how I get, you know, how are these people coming on? And what you said is, is, is exactly right. They're not going to come on just any show. Uh, they're not going to be associated with just any program. Yep. And I think that the biggest reason that, you know, they are coming on is that they realize that we're here to help, you know, we're here in California to help people who are struggling um, and we're doing it the right way. Yeah, you know, I think that's so important. I think in, in any work that whether you're a for-profit or a nonprofit, you know, I mean, it's just like this show is like what you're doing on the podcast or the YouTube channel there. I mean, you do it because it's a valuable service to people, right? Like it, yep. the the main goal is not marketing or sales or, you know, promoting your product, right? The main goal is how can we provide value to people? And that just pays dividends, you know, automatically. You don't even have to worry about it. Like it'll come back to you. It's, you know, it's kind of a karma thing almost at the end of the day. And I am such a huge advocate of, of that, you know, deliver value and value will come back to you and don't worry about trying to, you know, figure out how much that action was worth because at the end of the day, I mean, it's just about helping people. You know, you and I talked about that exact topic. I don't know if you remember back in uh, Scurry, Texas, a few years yep. back and really just kind of talked about how if, if you put your focus into patient care and helping people, you know, the rest of it is details. And if I've, I've never lost that focus and maybe that's because I am a clinical psychologist and, you know, I got into the, you don't become a psychologist or a therapist or work in this industry long-term unless you deeply care about helping other people and have a strong empathy for what they're going through. I firmly believe that I've seen people come in that don't have it and they never last in this business. And I've never lost that. You know, again, I, like the business side and the leadership side of this business, I learned later and I invested heavily in my education in that. But I've never lost in my core mission, which is what I spent all those years in grad school to do, was to ease people's suffering. So that has been always the central component of everything I've done, how I design and implement every strategy around the business. And I agree with you, like, well, you know, whether it's karma or just kind of coming back around. If you put all of your energy into that, I think you'll do very well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we were talking before we got on the the, the podcast portion, the interview here about the fact that at, nowadays, especially within addiction treatment behavioral health, it's all about providing higher quality or better services in some way, shape, or mm-hmm. form. You know, I mean, you are in California, right? There are hundreds of treatment providers all over the place in California. You can't come into that market, at least in Orange County, 
and you know meet an unmet demand the demand is more than met it's very saturated so the mm -hmm. only opportunity that exists now is to come in and build a better program and when you know connecting to the pr topic here when people are seeing that that's what you're doing right they're going to be attracted to that program yeah exactly and you know i've learned a lot about how to build these programs from talking to people like you in the industry and really spending a lot of time um, learning about different aspects of it and, and different mentors that I've had. And, and we're going to, we're doing exactly what you, what you're saying there. You know, we're really going to differentiate ourselves out here in California because it is really saturated and we've taken some really cool steps towards doing it. And again, one of the biggest reasons I came here is because I get to do, and I have control over creating all of the really cool aspects of treating patients and mental health and substance use disorder. So I have a very heavy research background. And I believe very, very heavily in, in data and data analytics in this space. In fact, I think it's, it's the future of this business. And immediately when I got out here, we started integrating data into all of our decision-making process, and especially with patient care. Um, we brought on an, an incredible company, Track9 Informatics, that does this. It's a team of you know statisticians and psychologists who created this amazing program that has its own proprietary predictive algorithm that has given us incredible information with our patients. Not only how they're doing from week to week on these different scales, but we have the ability now to see before it happens when they might be at risk for leaving treatment early or if they're struggling with commitment to treatment. And you know, if you don't have access to this kind of data and this kind of information, you just get hit with the point where they say, I'm ready to go home. I wanna leave right now, give me all my belongings. But if you can see that ahead of time, then you can switch your treatment priorities from you know, treating that you know, week two of CBT or whatever standardized battery to enhancing commitment to treatment and to change based on these you know, early warning flags that you have um, using these data programs. Also, you know, how, how well do companies in our space do outcome measures long-term? I think the answer, and you probably agree with me, is not very well. Yeah. And, you know, we also have the ability to get much better data long-term um, through our partnerships with companies that do this really well. And to take that a step further, um, you know, research is going to be a big part of who we are at Be Well. We're going to be, I want to be known as not only a treatment company, but I want to be known as a company that works to advance the science of addiction treatment. So one of the first things I did is I went out and hired a tenured professor at Rutgers University, Dr. Edward Selby, who specializes in mental health and, uh, and behavioral health research and is a brilliant statistician. So he came on immediately, oversees all of our track nine and data amalgamation, and is going to be the head of our um, research uh, publication department. And we've already begun laying the groundwork for that. So to your point, you have to differentiate yourself in this market, and especially in California, where it's very heavily saturated. And we are going to do just that through wow. these different methods. That's great to hear. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many calls I get where people are like, well, you know, where are the best insurance policies or... You know, where, where is all the opportunity in the space? And I say the opportunity in the space is, I said, look at the providers and find a bunch of mediocre ones and do a better job. I said, that's it. You know, yeah. go where the mediocre <laughs> providers are because there's a lot of mediocre providers around the country. I said, that's the opportunity. Yeah. The opportunity is not, you know, going to some area where no one's providing services. Um, just, and I've never seen that work out anyway. You know, if you're not providing higher quality care, eventually you become one of the mediocre providers and then someone better comes along and beats you out. So um, you, you've got to have that that ability to build a moat of quality service, you know, as a differentiator in the business. Uh, 
glad you brought up track nine. Cause, well, I love those guys. I was, talk- I was just been talking to Jared Dempsey quite a bit this week, actually. Um, and they're also a sponsor of the podcast at the moment. So it's <laughs> oh, great. Great. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I mean, they're, I love them. They're that's phenomenal software. And I agree with you. Yeah. Welcome tracking is, is the key. So you brought the fact up that you brought in, you know, a special individual to oversee that. And I'm wondering if you, when you think about your PR in particular, you, do you approach it from a strategic direction? Are you saying, Hey, here's the messaging I want to build and here's the channels we want to be on, or is it a bit more organic? I mean, can you kind of just walk us through how that process happens when you start to build and implement a PR strategy? I also follow a lot of the great companies in this country closely. And some of these, some of the companies out there do a really good job with this stuff. And when it comes to data and marketing, I, there's a few treatment companies out there that I think do a really good job of marketing their results. And if that's done right, I think that could be an incredibly powerful marketing tool. Now, I'm always extremely skeptical when treatment companies say 90% of our patients get better or recover from coming through our program. And I always question, what is 90% of what? Does that mean 90% of their patients complete treatment? That's actually pretty good. You know, great, good for you. But are they still sober when they leave? How long are they sober for? And how are we defining success anyway these days? Um, Is it just pure sobriety? You're either sober or you're not. And if you're not, you failed. I think that's pretty, I don't think we can really define treatment success that way anymore. It's much more multidimensional. So, you know, but I do see programs um, that partner with universities and have really good objective data collection and outcome measuring that's done very carefully, it's never going to be perfect. But then when they are able to show their results um, based on, you know, really objective data and science to the best of their ability, I think it's way more powerful. Um, So I've seen some companies do that good. I do want to repeat that. I want to be able to show what our own data shows and also to be able to say this is, you know, this is an objective, you know, third party data collection. Um, through like a track nine or through our partnership with, you know, research departments at Rutgers University and also be able to publish some of the research from that data. I think that can be a very powerful marketing tool. So I think I think that kind of gets at your question. No, 100 percent. I think I think something to point out that you're, you're kind of bringing up here is there, there are two pieces to being good at what you do. You know, obviously you have to be good at what you do. You want to track the results and be able to show that. Um, but you do want to show it, right? And I think that's where the PR strategy and the marketing comes in. And this is one gap that sometimes Verizon had. We, you know, we've been working with a, a really well-known provider for a couple months now, and they have amazing data. They've built out a really great data team and data program, but they weren't telling anyone about it, right? So they had all right. this amazing results, but nobody knew. Um, so you have to, you know, you got to shout it from the rooftops is what I like to say. Like, let people know what you're good at. Don't hide that or not even necessarily hide it, but, you know, don't let it go by without telling everybody that, hey, look, look at what we're doing here. Look at what we're really good at. You got to let people know. And so that's the value of marketing. It's the value of PR. It, it lets people know what you're good at. It attracts the right people to the program. And also on the flip side, it, you know, it can re- repel people if it's not the right fit for them, which is also just as good. You know, we don't want people coming in the program that aren't going to be the best fit for what we do or what we're good at. You know, they might be able to find somewhere else. So I think messaging is is really key to all of um, all the great work that people do inside the facilities. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I don't want it to be fluff. You know, I, I'm yes. always extremely skeptical. There's so much fluff and I, I read it, I see it and I think, okay, you know, where are they getting these numbers? But some of them do it really well. And once we've gathered enough data, I agree with you completely. We're going to shout it from the rooftops, um, but I'm also going to be very careful and I want it to be very apparent how we collected it, how it's objective, you know, how it's done very scientifically and it's not just a bunch of noise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fluff and the noise doesn't go anywhere and I think a lot of a lot of people struggle with that from a marketing perspective, right? You can't make up a differentiator. You know, you have to actually be live and execute on what you're good at. You know, I always give the example of like Walmart, for example, right? Walmart provides the lowest prices in the country through their economies of scale and their massive buying power and the you know operational efficiencies that they have in place. They're able to provide insanely low prices compared to other competitors in the marketplace. And so they market that, right? They're, they're not putting their marketing message out there saying, hey, we have the lowest prices, and then they don't. They have the lowest prices, and then they market the differentiator. And so as an addiction streamer provider, you have to do the same thing. You're not going and talking about making stuff up, right, from a marketing perspective and hoping that that makes people call you. You have to say, hey, what are we really good at? And then communicate that out into the marketplace. That drives successful business results long-term, um, not just getting more people to call and pick up the phone. Yeah. That's exactly right. And that's exactly what we're trying to implement. So related to that idea, you're just kind of reflecting a bit. What would you say was like the best PR campaign you've had so far and why? And then flip side, what was the least successful? That's a good question. You know, I think that honestly, what I'm doing out here is probably going to have the most impact, um, you know, from from and my my uh, my VP of marketing would probably tell you that, you know, the the YouTube, the YouTube uh episodes that I've been doing, we can link to a bunch of things, you know, we can put it on our website and it's repeatable. So, you know, if I do a radio show or if I do, you know, if I'm on the news, local news talking, it's, it's there and it's gone pretty much. Um, but when we do these kind of YouTube videos and recorded uh, social media, we can kind of reuse these on different platforms and we can link it to this and link it to that. And people might be able to see it more than once. It creates some more kind of uh, balance with Google helps us to get a little bit better ranking, you know, definitely venturing over into your area of expertise. Um, but my director of uh, my VP of marketing would tell you that this has been our most, my most successful campaign based on what he knows about. Oh, interesting. All right. Uh, and then do you have a example of one that was maybe the least successful? I think if I had to say, just the I would I would say by least successful, probably the lowest amount of exposure on a larger scale is when I went to Dallas. First of all, I was I was outside of Dallas in a very small remote town that you know because you visited yeah, me there in Scurry, <laughs> Scurry, Texas, population fifteen hundred. Right. Um, so you know, cracking the Dallas marketplace was much harder than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I thought I would kind of go out there. I just left Memphis. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go out here and kill it now and. They're going to be calling me off the hook. And it was, it felt a lot more difficult to get into. And it felt a lot more professional um, because it's a market for, I believe, one of the biggest markets in the country. So I had to kind of divert my strategy to much, much more localized kind of print. I did a lot more newspaper and magazine type stuff there. So I'd say from exposure point, probably that was the least successful but I did make a lot of inroads with the local counties, local governments, and, you know, really becoming the preferred provider of choice in that area. We see that consistently in the treatment space. I mean, where you talk about PR or just standard business growth, the farther you are outside of metropolitan area, the harder it is. 
um, for a lot of different reasons. I think the other thing I would comment on that you brought up was the, the evergreen content that like can marketing speak, right? If you have a piece of content that exists on YouTube or exists on your website, it's evergreen because it's always there, it's always accessible. And that stuff is powerful, right? As you said, you can repurpose it, take pieces out, put it into social media, you know, make little blurbs for a white paper or a PR component, you know, whatever you want to do with it. But people do go back and read that stuff all the time. I was joking with um, Chris Wolfington, you know, he was on the podcast a while ago, FinPay. And, you know, he's like, oh, he's like, no one goes back and listens to the old podcasts. And I'm like, yeah, they do all the time. I mean, I see yeah. the numbers, right? We got data on it. You know, and we get a couple hundred listens a week. And a lot of it's the older stuff, right? It's not just the new stuff that people are listening to. So people always go back and there's a lot of value in just having something that exists on the web forever. Exactly. And, you know, and that's something new that I'm learning too. Um, again, having a great producer here was a huge help, but not only does she help, you know, set up the, these podcasts with all these stars, um, she's also been really good at blasting us all over the social media sites. Um, you know, I didn't even know what TikTok was before I came out here. We, we're on there now. We're on Twitter. We're on, you know, we're on all the major platforms and she's done a great job of taking the stuff that we've done, breaking it into smaller chunks, talking about specific issues, using that small, you know, one minute clip. Uh, and she's just been doing a great job of making sure that we're kind of blasted all over, um, all over the different social media platforms. Plus, Dr. Selby at Rutgers has come in now, and he's pr pretty much once a week producing some really, really unique and new and fresh blog content. Um, so he's been putting out about an article a week, and he's he's not from the space, so he's not regurgitating a lot of the same uh, addiction treatment stuff that's already out there. He's writing all fresh, new, uh, original content for us. So it's slower. You know, we're not pumping out 15 articles a day or anything like that. But, but it's valuable, it's deep, it's insightful, and very well-researched, which is what I love about it. So uh, it's, been, it's been a different strategy out here, but very fulfilling, and so far, so it's been pretty impactful. Ah, that's the way to go. Quality over quantity, what I was saying, it works. I mean, we see it in the data in the back end. Um, so we've covered a lot of ground here. Uh, any any kind of final thoughts or anything that we didn't cover that you think is worth mentioning? Um, no, you know, I just, I think for your listeners, I'd love to just say, you know, please, if, you, if you're interested in learning more about us, um, please visit BeWellNetwork.com. Uh, you can always contact us at 888-616-9075, or just go on to YouTube and, uh, you know, search for Be Well Network, and you'll see all of our clips there and um, all the great work we've done with all the uh, Hollywood celebrities. And also we've had a lot of really good uh, content experts and therapists on the show as well. Nice. Well, I appreciate you having on. It was great the second time around. It's just as good as it was the first. <laughs> um, for all of our listeners out there, this is the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski, and we'll see you guys next time.